0: You're listening to Tech Tank, a bi-weekly podcast from the Brookings Institution, exploring the most consequential technology issues of our time. From racial bias and algorithms to the future of work, Tech Tank takes big ideas and makes them accessible. Thanks for joining our Brookings Tech Tank podcast. I'm Darrell West, Senior Fellow in the Center for Technology Innovation at the Brookings Institution. With the start of the new year, there are questions over the state of technology policy and what are the big issues facing the sector? In a recent report on the state of state technology policy, Scott Brennan and Matt Peralt provide a comprehensive overview of new developments at the state level and what to watch in coming months. It was really an outstanding report that offers a useful roadmap to state level policy actions and we definitely recommend it to all of our listeners. So to discuss these issues. I am very pleased to be joined by those authors. Scott Brennan is the head of online expression policy at the Center on Technology Policy at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. We also are happy to welcome Matt Perrault, who is the director of the Center on Technology Policy at the University of North Carolina. So Scott and Matt, welcome to our Brookings Tech Tank podcast. Daryl, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you so much for the invitation. So Scott, I'm gonna jump in with you. So your report mentions an unprecedented surge in state-led initiatives in 2023. What led so many states to take action on technology policy?
1: Yeah, well, that's a great question. I I think to really understand all this action that we're seeing at the state level, you have to look at what's happening in the structures of state governments. So uh, as we point out in the report, Last year, 39 states had trifecta governments. That's where one party controls both houses of the legislature and the governor's office. This means that in those states, one party can pass legislation largely on its own. So last year was 39, this coming year, it's going to be 40 states have trifecta control. And you know this is actually a, a historic level of, of single party control uh the most for at least 30 years uh the data we have goes back to 1992 um so at least since 1991 uh you know we've had the most uh trifecta of governments and uh you know compared to the federal government which this past year there were no new uh technology policy uh, laws passed in part because there wasn't single party control right in the federal government so 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 I think that is is one of the sort of like key reasons that we've seen so much action
2: by the states Daryl I think I think you'll enjoy this given your background we were actually asked yesterday if we had done advanced statistical analysis to try to determine with um, with some statistical strength and fortitude um, what were the variables that correlated with Passing legislation at the state level at the level that we saw, and that is not something that we do in this report. Scott and I actually ended up in a long discussion of what correlation means statistically and what causation means statistically, and how defensible uh, our report is along those lines. Um, and I think really what we can say is that um, is that this tri- th- that there are these trifectas, and that that is. Uh, trifectas are one thing that is currently different about state government versus federal government. There are other factors as well, like the absence of the filibuster, for instance, at the state level. Um, and, and then there are other a whole bunch of other factors, like people have made the case that lobbying is a variable or uh, the quality of various different tech proposals. And so it's a little bit hard for us to be able to say definitively exactly what caused it. But the point that Scott's making about the composition and architecture of state governments um, we we do think it seems to be an important factor.
0: I think that's a great point about uh, our all-party control making a difference and facilitating action because, you know, unlike the national level where we have a a Republican House and a Democratic Senate and it's just hard to get people to agree on anything, at the state level, they have basically overcome that type of gridlock uh, through one party controlling all the major levers. But, uh, Matt, I'd like to follow up with you on that point because it seems like I would imagine that the all-Republican states – Are passing one type of legislation while the all Democratic states may be following a very different approach. Uh, In your analysis of state action, are you finding big differences in how Republican and Democratic states are legislating?
2: So we found that in some issues, like in child safety, there were uh, four times as many bills passed by Republican leaning states than Democrat leaning states. But on other issues, we actually have seen some convergence, like um, right leaning states and left leaning states have both passed comprehensive privacy legislation. And that's an issue that we think is is really interesting, the dynamic that's happening now, because there was a time where there were concerns by industry that at the state level, there'd be a patchwork of laws where the law that would govern you in North Carolina would be different than the privacy law that would govern you if you were in Virginia. And so if you're driving from North Carolina to Virginia, you'd have one set of rights um, on one side of the border and another set of rights on the other side. And that Patchwork can be problematic for users who don't know what their rights are when they travel from state to state. And it's also really challenging for tech companies who have to comply with different compliance regimes across 50 state borders. What we've actually seen is less of a development of a patchwork and more of the development of a de facto national standard where um, states are actually passing similar pieces of legislation, all modeled on the Washington Privacy Act. Eight states passed new privacy law. In 2023, all eight state laws that passed were based on the Washington Privacy Act model. And now in total, 12 out of 13 states have passed laws uh, modeled on the Washington Privacy Act. And so this area of law that we thought was going to be a patchwork, thought might have partisan leanings to it, now actually seems to be moving in a different direction where we essentially have a national standard that's being passed state by state.
0: So it used to be as California and New York went, that's how uh, other states did it. But it sounds like now the state of the Washington is uh, becoming the leader. So, Scott, uh, just to follow up on this privacy uh, question, it is interesting that there is a de facto national privacy standard that has evolved among a number of uh, different states. Could you elaborate a little bit just on the key features of those laws, uh, how they're envisioning uh, privacy protection and, and what they're doing to actually contributing to consumer protection.
1: Sure. Um so I guess I should start by saying that you know we now have 12 states that have enacted you know versions of the same law which which actually you know was was uh, introduced in Washington but actually never passed in Washington. Um but there are some differences between the laws. That being said, generally these laws do two big, different things. On one hand, they give consumers a set of new rights about the sort of control that they have over data that that uh, uh, that that platforms collect and and use. So these are things like the right to um to correct data or to remove data about about themselves or the right to opt out of of certain data collection or certain data usage. On the other hand, these laws uh establish new requirements that businesses uh, must follow as concerns uh, you know u- user user um, u- user data and so these are things like again give you know um, as, you know establishing mechanisms for opting out of, of certain um, you know d- data you know d- data uses. Um, or uh, establishing you know more requirements for personal data or sensitive data for children for example now you know I, sh- I should also say that the two things that these bills don't do which is notable because the the 13th law comprehensive privacy bill that has passed was in California and this is something that we do see or at least one of these things in, in the California bill is um the the Washington Privacy Act bills do not include a private right of action, which is the ability for individual, uh, you know, uh, consumers or residents of a state to, to sue companies because of, of violations. Rather, all of these bills, you know, leave it, uh, enforcement to uh, attorneys general. And then they all have, uh, all the Washington Privacy Act bills, all have, uh, you know, opt-outs rather than opt-ins, right? So the the presumption is it's okay to to, to you know, do things with users' data unless they say uh, no, as opposed to an opt-in would be you're not allowed to, you know, collect or process user data unless they they opt, they opt into it. So, Matt, of course, one of the hot
0: issues now in the tech world is AI, and there does seem to be heightened interest in regulating AI. And I think in your report, uh, you found 20 different AI-related bills uh, passed a number of different states. So, how are states approaching the challenge of regulating AI? Well,
2: Daryl, I'd love to hear more of your thoughts about this because you've really been a leader in AI regulation over such a long period of time. Not just in the in the days since ChatGPT was introduced, but over a long period, you've really tracked the issue closely. So, I'd love to understand your point of view of what's working and what's not, and what you see at the state level. What what we found is that. Um, of those 20 laws, none seek to regulate AI comprehensively. So there are some that are sort of issue-specific concerns related to specific sectors of the economy, relatively narrow bills. And then there are others that really try to collect information and data that will inform um, how we govern AI in the future. And um, we we think of that as a, as a, as a productive thing. We've, d- we've done a lot of work on experimental approaches to policy design and how regulators can be, can take a more curious stance toward policymaking by um, looking for ways to learn about how tech products are performing and then have that data and that information um, inform future policy initiatives. And so what we've seen at the state level, I think is, is largely in line with that. Um, and I think will serve uh, state lawmakers very well in thinking through how to regulate an area that is so nascent and changing so rapidly.
0: Yeah. One of the things we are seeing both at the state as well as the national level is just a lot of interest in improving the transparency of algorithms, like just trying to figure out how they operate on what kind of data are they based? How are different, factors weighted? And then what are the ramifications that come out of that? Like, are there any issues in terms of racial or gender-based bias? Are there uh, problems in how algorithms are actually analyzing these materials? So I know there are some bills pending at the national level on this uh, front, and it sounds like states are starting to move into this area as well. Mm -hmm. Scott, uh, your report also talks about an increase in antitrust litigation, but actually, little interest in passing significant antitrust legislation. So, what are the challenges or obstacles that states face in this area, and what are the outcomes of some of the civil lawsuits that we actually are seeing against some of the tech platforms?
1: Yeah, right. So, um, as you said, you know, this past year we we saw really no major uh, state bills uh certainly passed and, and not really any introduced that would you know apply significant changes to state antitrust law um you know coming into the year i think we and actually we made this prediction in in our in our twenty twenty two version of this of this um report you know we 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 anticipated seeing more app store bills uh, bills that would um Uh, you know, set new requirements for, for, uh, you know, how app stores work. Um, Kind of surprisingly, we didn't really see any of those bills. There were one or two that were introduced and they didn't really go anywhere. Um, I think you're right to point out that, that um, instead of legislation, we did see some kind of significant uh, litigation in, in the antitrust realm. Um, And, and, you know, to, honestly that you know a lot of those cases are still sort of ongoing and so we we're we're still sort of waiting to see um how how they'll kind of shape up
0: how much do you think the states are waiting on some of the enforcement actions that already are being undertaken at the national level by the federal trade commission like are the states basically just waiting to see what is possible, how judges evaluate uh, some of the uh, actions that they're uncovering in these cases. Is that a reason why states are holding back?
1: You know, I don't know. Um, You know, this is something we've really wondered about. And um, I'm not sure I have a good answer for you there. I I think uh, that that is possibly part of it. I think also, um, there's just new other issues, right, that that state legislators are, are concerned about now in terms of tech. I mean, I think the more time I spend studying and following state policy, you realize it's, um, you know, how, how hard it is for state legislators, many of whom are work part time, they're not experts in in uh, many of the issues that they have to cover. And so, um, yeah, you just have to sort of, you know, they, they may have sort of limited capacity. So it's certainly possible that they're waiting to sort of see how some of these big, uh, pieces of litigation kind of pan out. It's also possible that they, you know, have just put their attention elsewhere. Um, you know, as as we, as we pointed out in the report, you know, child safety and AI have really kind of, uh, taken center stage in terms of, of what states are, are really, uh, interested in,
2: in terms of tech. Scott came up with this really nice formulation in the report around the different roles that states play with respect to policymaking. So in some cases they're trailblazers. And that's in areas like privacy, where the federal government has basically been inactive, and states have been charting a new course and establishing new rights on privacy. In other areas, they've been more like barometers. So Daryl, I think that's kind of what you're describing, where they are waiting to see how others in the ecosystem take action and what they outline as the proper role for states. And then states may be more active in the future once they kind of once they kind of understand more about about um, the, how the legal system views the scope of their power and th- I think that's certainly true in areas like content moderation. I'm not sure it's as true in areas like in, in like antitrust. Um, in antitrust we the primary role that we've seen states play is really as passengers for the federal government where the, the federal government initiates a lawsuit like the FTC lawsuit against Amazon and then a number of state attorneys general jump on board. I'm not really sure the what the reason is for why there's been uh, less interest in app store legislation. One of the fun, but also kind of scary things about these reports that we write is that we try to be specific about predictions. And that's fun to do because predictions are fun. And then it's scary because then we look back a year later and we look at all the areas that were we were we we were wrong. And there are lots of areas where we were wrong. And this is one where I felt like the prediction was actually pretty solid. Like I think predicting that lawmakers would would do things on App Store legislation just felt it felt likely to me. There's a lot of conversation about it at the federal level. There's been a lot of conversation about it at in Europe. And so it seemed like an area where state lawmakers might take the lead. And what we saw this this year was really like a significant dwindling of interest in it. So I'm not sure what the reason is.
0: Uh, so Matt, you know the secret of prediction is you need to act the way weather people act, which is they use probabilistic <laughs> reasoning. So they say there's a 60% chance of rain, which basically means they can never be wrong. And so I think tech uh, prognosticators need to uh, follow the uh, same type of approach.
2: Yeah. So there's a, there's a 60% chance of App Store legislation next year.
0: <laughs> so uh, Matt, I just want to follow up. You uh, mentioned content moderation, and it does seem like uh, based on your report that a number of states have adopted a cautious approach to content moderation. So I'm just curious what you found, uh, why you think some states are being cautious and how that might affect platform behavior in the future.
2: So last year we saw a lot of content moderation activity with right-leaning states being focused more on must carry type provisions because of concerns about censorship of conservative related content. And So these laws would require tech companies to leave more content up and would limit their ability to moderate content. There there are cases in front of the Supreme Court right now that will address this issue and and, um, determine whether the First Amendment is a bar to that type of legislation. We also last year saw more legislation from left-leaning states that would try to regulate um, social media companies' ability to carry content that is perceived to be harmful. And I think because of the litigation that's in play right now, states really um, slowed down their activity because it seems like by the end of the term in in late June, there will be guidance from the Supreme Court about what the role of state power looks like in this area. That means, I think, that for state legislatures that are still in session after June, it's conceivable that we would actually see a lot of activity in this area after that period when there's guidance about um, what the what the constitutional role of states is in this area. So if the Florida and Texas laws in front of the Supreme Court are upheld, for instance, then I think we'd see a lot of activity in right-leaning states to pass similar laws um, after June.
0: Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Uh, We are probably gonna have uh, more definitive uh, rulings coming down uh, from uh, the Supreme Court that will uh, affect these areas. Uh, Scott, the topic of digital taxes was another one that you explored in your report. And I know uh, Maryland uh, passed a digital uh, tax uh, law. And I'm just curious, some of the legal issues that have come up in regard to that and how other states may be thinking about this whole issue of digital taxes.
1: Yeah, this is a great timely question. Um, so, um, yeah, Maryland, uh, a couple of years ago now, passed this uh, new digital tax on platforms of a certain size and um you know last year we saw you know a handful of bills um introduced not passed in states uh i I should say in in 2022 a handful of bills passed uh, or excuse me introduced but not passed um, again, our prediction, I think, if, if I remember correctly, was that um, given the the fact that the Maryland bill was sort of caught up in in, uh, in litigation, we wouldn't see any bills even sort of introduced. And there, in fact, were a handful of states that continued to sort of express interest in in, in passing kind of Maryland-style bills. None of them actually did pass. Um, but but they they were introduced. Um, yeah. So the uh, the Maryland bill is 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 had this sort of like complex um, kind of path through uh, first through passage where it was actually passed over a veto, um, at, you know, after being vetoed by the governor and and then was caught up in, in litigation. And it kind of continues to be the I think the Fourth Circuit just um, ruled uh, you know, uh, I think this week or late last week, um, on it, uh, that basically kept alive, a, a, a challenge on first amendment grounds. Uh, but for now the, the law is, um, uh, in effect and, and, uh, I believe, and, uh, yeah, I, I certainly expect to see sort of like more action on the, on the litigation side.
0: Uh, Matt, just curious your thoughts on the topic of digital taxes and what you're finding and what you expect going forward. I don't have much to add to what Scott said. I think he covered it really well. So it seems like courts are becoming a more and more important player in the tech policy area, kind of both at the state level as well as nationally. Like, you know, regulators are engaging in enforcement actions and then it's leading to lawsuits. States are passing laws, it's leading to lawsuits. Sometimes Florida and Texas are passing more conservative bills, and California is passing a more liberal bill, and so the, the courts have to jump in to try and uh, reconcile those differences. So, Matt, I'm just curious about how, how you see the role of the courts and how some of the pending court decisions could influence state authority in tech policy
2: areas. I, I think your assessment is right. I guess the question then is, like, is that the system working well or is it the system working poorly I think it probably is closer to the system working well. So if you think of, if if states are, if the hope for states is that they perform the role as laboratories of democracy that many people hope that they'll play, then they'll get some things right and they'll get some things wrong and they'll get them wrong both in terms of like passing, enacting policy that ends up being counterproductive or has really problematic unintended consequences. And then they also might get some things wrong in terms of, thinking that they have the ability under the Constitution to pass certain laws that courts actually eventually say they don't have the authority to pass. And so I think we've seen over the last couple of years a flurry of state activity here. Um, Unlike Congress, as we've discussed, states are really acting and governing in this space. And so then it would be natural to see courts um, weigh in on that and determine whether states actually have the authority to pass the legislation that they've passed. Um, I guess the one trend that I think is troubling, and Scott and I were actually talking about this earlier today, is that we, we do see some states passing laws that have already been struck down by courts in other jurisdictions. And that, I guess that's not inherently problematic. It might be that different judges look at issues differently. But it does seem to me that when courts suggest that there are, for instance, significant First Amendment concerns related to how some states are going about enacting child safety legislation, that that should push in favor of developing some new approaches. And there are lots of different strategies that states might use in that area to develop laws that are more likely to survive a First Amendment review. And so it feels—it does feel somewhat counterproductive from my standpoint to sort of going back, go back repeatedly to ideas that courts have been skeptical of, But my hope is that over time states do incorporate that feedback they're getting from the judiciary and use that to pass laws that are more likely to stand up in court
0: so i have a closing question for each of you so you've done this report of uh, what the states were doing in 2023 what are each of your expectations in terms of 2024 like Are we expecting continued activism at the state level and a number of states uh, passing legislation in various areas? And in what areas are we most likely to see action
1: in 2024? And Scott, maybe we can start with you on that. Sure, Um, I absolutely expect to continue to see a whole lot of state action on uh, some of these issues, AI, child safety and privacy in particular. Uh, actually I mean the what we're 11 days into the year and we've already seen um, action kind of in all of in, in or at least certainly AI and child safety um, so I, I think there's good reason to think that that states will continue is in you know more specifically for AI you know I, I think we're going to continue to see you know as we put on the as we, as we say in the report, You know, we expect to continue to see some of these learning bills, but I I would also expect to start to see states, um, you know, giving at least serious consideration to more comprehensive AI regulation. Uh, You know, I I believe that we're going to continue to see sort of the, you know, Utah style, Arkansas style, you know, uh, Limits on children's use of social media or age verifications type bills, like we've seen in uh, already this year in Florida, there's a there's a bill that that is um, already being um, being very actively considered. Um, yeah, and and uh, in, in privacy, there's again there's no reason to think that we won't continue to see sort of the you know the the march of the WPA the Washington Privacy Act style bills. Um, uh, pa- passing across states.
0: Uh, so Matt, your expectations for 2024 and are there particular areas where uh, you think states are likely to be active?
2: Yeah, so I, I agree completely with Scott. And if anyone wants to check out our predictions so that they can hold us accountable to them a year from now, um, we, we list them out in the report. We make a series of predictions about 2024. Um, I think Scott has articulated the key points really well. The one thing that I would note in addition is that in privacy, there are 28 states that have trifecta governments that haven't yet passed comprehensive privacy protections. And so Scott and I, I, we don't pretend to be experts on all the very nuanced specific political dynamics in each of those states, which might make some of them more or less likely to pass comprehensive reform. But we do think that it's likely that those will be the states that that are really targets for comprehensive privacy legislation. And as Scott said, we think the most likely model in those states will be the Washington Privacy Act model. So I want to
0: thank uh, both Scott and Matt for joining our Tech Tank conversation. Uh, They have a terrific report, and we recommend all of you who are interested in state-level tech uh, policy to uh, take a look at what they have come up uh, with. And don't forget to follow our Tech Tank blog for more details on many of the issues that we have discussed on this podcast. And you can find uh, that blog material at brookings.edu. So thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you for listening to Tech Tank, a series of roundtable discussions and interviews with technology experts and policymakers. For more conversations like this, subscribe to the podcast and sign up to receive the Tech Tank newsletter. For more research and analysis from the Center for Technology Innovation at Brookings.